Turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians 3. Last week we looked at the goal of striving to know Jesus more. Uh, This was Paul's goal for his life, was to, to know Christ, to know Him fully, to experience Him fully in the transformation that comes because of Him. And we saw that this should be the goal for all believers. Each one of us should live every one of our days with the heart and mind that we want to know Christ more. He loves us. He has been so kind to us. And our heart should be drawn to saying, I I want to know and experience Him more today than I did yesterday. Each and every day of our lives. And Paul spoke in terms of running a race. We are running a race. Striving forward. Struggling forward with this idea of knowing Jesus more. And so today what we're going to see with this is this kind of idea tied together. Uh, and we're going to see the, the call for us to stand firm. Standing firm in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is what we need. Jesus Christ is the answer that we desperately need. What we've been looking for. He's the only hope that we have. And so we are called to stand firm. The world is offering so many other things for us to run after, using that language from last week, to pursue other things. When the world is offering so many other things for us to hold on to, to hold firm, to take our stand on, we as believers are called to stand firm in Jesus Christ. I'm going to read the text today, Philippians 3, verse 17, and we're going to go through Philippians 4, verse 1, and then I'm going to pray for us. Philippians 3, starting in verse 17, Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, And now say again with tears that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait for a Savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of the of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and my crown in this manner Stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Let's pray. God, your word is good and true, and it's what we need to guide us. I pray that as we 
look at what we are called to today, that you will work in our hearts and minds. Help us believe the promises that your, that your word give us. And help us live according to those promises. Let our lives be changed because of Christ Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My sermon title for today is Standing Firm in the Lord. And we get that call to live this way stated in Philippians 4.1. So let's look back at that verse again. This was the last verse uh, for today's passage. So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and my crown in this manner... Stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Stand firm in the Lord, in Jesus Christ, in what Christ has done for us. Jesus came and lived a perfect life and then died taking the punishment that we deserved so that we could be adopted, so that we could be accepted in as a child of God, so that we would receive forgiveness for sins, so that we would have eternity with God. And Paul says, stand firm in Jesus Christ. The world's offering so many other things for you to hold on to. The world's offering so many other things for you to... Stake your claim on. Stand firm in Jesus. He's what you need. He's the only thing that you need in this world that is broken and leaves us hurting. Christ is the answer. And so Paul says, stand firm in Him. Stand firm in Jesus. So as we look at this call to the Philippian believers first... Look at the language that Paul uses for them. Paul loves these people. He loves this church deeply. So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and my crown, and then goes on to call them dear friends. He's not just pandering to them. Paul loves these believers He longs to be with them again. We've seen that before. Uh, We've seen this language that he has the affection of Christ Jesus for them. The affection that causes him to give up his life for them. To pour out everything in his life for their benefit. He loves this body. And so when he's speaking to them, when he's calling for them to respond a certain way, when he's saying, I want you to stand firm, he's doing it so out of his deep, deep love for them. And so he calls the believers, his precious, precious church that he loves so much in Philippian, in Philippi, he says, stand firm. Stand firm in Jesus Christ. Paul wants them to endure. He does not want them to to stray towards something else. He doesn't want them to pursue something else in this life. He wants them running hard after Jesus. Taking a stand only in Christ. Putting their hope only in Christ. 
We've seen similar language before in this letter as we've been working through Philippians. Philippians 1.27, this is the verse that I told you when we got to it, that as I was reading Philippians earlier this year, this was the verse that stuck out. And I said, I, I want Philippians to be my first, uh, my first book that we work through whenever I become a senior pastor, because it's such a beautiful, beautiful verse. But it has some of the same language that we're looking at today. Philippians 1.27, just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. So contending, this like striving and struggling points back to what we looked at last week, that, that race, that athletic language. And this week, standing firm. Paul says, I want you standing firm in the Lord. Not in anything that you've done. Not anything that this world has to offer. But in Jesus Christ, stand firm in Him. That's military language. When we looked at that the first time, we talked about this being the language of um, soldiers on a battle line, holding their ground, refusing to retreat, refusing to give up any of their, uh, the land of what they're staking their claim on. And Paul uses that here and says, don't retreat to anything else. Stand firm in Jesus. And so as we work our way through these five verses, we're going to see uh, some specifics on what it looks like to stand firm in the Lord, standing firm in only in what Christ has done and who Christ is and not pursuing anything else that the world has to offer. So the first thing we see in this text is this, standing firm in the Lord requires following mature godly examples. Standing firm in the Lord requires following mature, godly examples. Let's look back at Philippians 3.17. This is the first verse we looked at in this passage today. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. Paul says, Imitate me. We've seen that language brought up uh, and that idea. He's offered people as examples to follow multiple times in this letter. He's used himself as an example. He's used Timothy and Epaphroditus as examples. He's used Christ as the perfect example of humility. And so example is one of the things that he's regularly using in this letter to say, follow after these types of individuals. And so here Paul says again, imitate me, follow me in this. And so what he's asking them to imitate is what he was talking about last week when we worked through uh, the last section in Philippians 3 of running the race after Christ Jesus striving ahead, forgetting what's in the past, forgetting all the things that he had done wrong in the past, forgetting everything that he had done right that he was putting his hope in before, forgetting all of that and striving towards Christ. 
running hard after Jesus. And so that's what Paul's talking about when he says, imitate me. Do this. Do the same thing that you're seeing in me. Is run after Jesus. Make Jesus your goal and your prize that you're running after in this life. And so Paul wants them to do the same thing. And then knowing that, so Paul's 800 miles away uh, from Philippi, in under house arrest, can't be with them. And so saying, not only what you've seen in me and what I've done when I was in your presence and what I'm instructing you in this letter, but also there are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ in your presence. There are people who are living the way that I'm calling you to live. There are people who are living like you saw me live when I was in your presence. Imitate them. Pay attention to their example. Since I'm not with you, follow these faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. So Paul's recognizing the impact that godly believers have on the lives of others in setting an example of what, uh, what should be followed, of how we can live out this life. And especially since the, the world offers so many examples that are counter to the gospel. The world's offering all kinds of examples that we may be tempted to follow after. And Paul is saying, no, follow the example that I've set before you of running after Jesus, of making Christ your goal, and knowing Jesus, your one passion. Follow people like me. Proverbs 27, 17 says this. And Paul's pointing out that this is a reality. Iron sharpens iron. And one person sharpens another. Iron sharpens iron. And one person sharpens another. We influence the people that we are around. And we are influenced by the people that we are around. And so Paul is saying, follow mature godly examples. Follow mature godly examples. People that are making Christ their goal. The influence of faithful believers is so important in the church. And this is why virtual church can't be the answer uh, for our lives. Yes, there's benefits to being able to see uh, and learn from people online, but we need each other in our lives. We need to have one another and sharpen one another and live out in front of one another what it looks like to faithfully pursue Christ. And Paul's saying, follow these people. Follow people who are running after Jesus. Follow people who are standing firm in Christ and not putting their hope in anything else. Stick with them. Look for faithful believers to follow. Not following someone because they're successful in this world. Not following someone because they, uh, you like them or they seem to be popular with the right kind of people. Not following someone because of anything about this world, but following someone because they pursue Christ faithfully. So for us, church, we need to find godly examples to follow. 
in our lives. And we need to live as godly examples in the lives of of others in this church. So this week, would you look for someone, likely someone in this church. It could be another believer that you have a connection with outside of this church, but there are faithful people who are striving hard to know Jesus more and more every day here at Dogwood Church. Would you look for those individuals and and say, I want to follow their example and let them know, like, I want to learn from you what it means to, to pursue Christ above everything else in this world. And then would you recognize the impact you have on other believers? That you can sharpen other believers. You can live as an example to someone else of this is what it looks like. Not perfectly. We don't have it. None of us have it. We saw that last week. Paul, the apostle, saying, not that I've reached the goal. I'm not there yet. And that's true for every one of us. So we're not saying we're living in perfection. We're saying... I know Jesus is the answer. I know He's the only hope that I have, and so I'm pursuing Him. And would you live as an example to others to say, let's do this together. Let's encourage one another in this process of striving to know Jesus and standing firm in Him. Parents, do that with your children this week. Grandparents, do that with your grandkids. Elders and deacons of the church, this is one of the things we are called to in this church is to live out as a godly example of what it looks like to run after Christ, to say that He's our only hope. So let's each one of us recognize the value of being an example for other believers. It's an important task. And so Paul is saying, standing firm in the Lord requires following mature, godly examples. Let's pursue that in our lives. The second thing we see from this text is this. Standing firm in the Lord requires us to avoid worldly distractions. Standing firm in the Lord requires us to avoid worldly distractions. Let's look at Philippians 3. 18 and 19. For I have often told you, I'm sorry, for I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame, they are focused on earthly things. Paul writing with tears, and I I don't believe he's just using that uh, for effect. I I think he's speaking genuinely that as he wrote these words, or as he dictated these to someone else to write these words, whichever it was, that he said these with tears. There are people in this world who live as enemies of the cross, and he's likely not talking about the, the people who were all out at war against God. He's talking about the people who've put their hope in other things. People that have been boasting in themselves, bragging on things that they've accomplished. Look at what I've been able to do. Look at who I am. Instead of putting their hope fully in Jesus Christ, 
those are the individuals that he's talking about. And he's saying they are living as enemies of the cross because they're, they're ignoring the hope that is found there. The only hope that we have in the cross of Christ and what Jesus accomplished by dying for our sins. And they're putting hope in themselves. And Paul says people are living as an enemy of the cross of Christ. And it brings him to tears because they are boasting in themselves and they're causing others to say, like, hey, pursue this in your own life. This is how you'll be made right with God. If you'll just do these things, you're going to be loved by God and approved of by God. And they're leaving out the cross. They're ignoring what Christ has accomplished. And so then look at the description here in verse 19. It's blunt uh, in the, the language that he uses. It's direct. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things. So for these people who are enemies of the cross, who may actually look to be fairly religious... Because they're encouraging people to live a certain way and act a certain way and do a certain thing and then God will be pleased with you. These people who look to be religious but are ignoring what Christ has accomplished, Paul says their end is destruction. He's talking eternal destruction. There is eternal destruction for these individuals. Why? Because they are worshiping the wrong thing. He says their God is their stomach. And the language, the wording that's used there in the the original language, he's not talking specific about food uh, when he says their, their God is their stomach. He's talking about just like fleshly desires. The wording's often used with, uh, with sexual sin. Uh, but it is kind of an all-encompassing term here that's talking about they're pursuing the desires of the flesh. Whatever will please their bodies, that's what they're striving after. That's what they've made their God. So they're worshiping the wrong thing. That's why they're headed for eternal destruction. And then he says they're... They hold as glory. What they're, what the things that they're most proud of is the thing that's actually a shame about them. What they are glorying in, what they're boasting in and bragging in about themselves is actually shame because it is making them an enemy of the cross. It's ignoring what Jesus has done. And then lastly, they're focused on earthly things. They're focused on themselves They're focused on their own desires of the flesh. Focused on the pleasures of this world and the distractions of this world. And so church, we have to be careful in this because we are tempted to worship the wrong things. We're tempted to boast and brag in the wrong things. We're tempted to pursue pursue the desires of our own flesh instead of pursuing Christ. And so we have to stop loving the things of this world more than we love Christ Jesus. Look at the way John puts this in 1 John 2. 
verse 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away. But the one who does the will of God remains forever. Loving the world, loving the things of this world are not from God the Father. Now, it does not mean that we cannot enjoy the things of the world as a gift from God, right? God has provided us with many good gifts. Every good gift in this world is a gift from God. And it is okay to enjoy those things as a way to recognize God's goodness towards us. It is okay for us to enjoy those things as a way to praise God and say, thank you for, for giving us this in this life. But he's talking about the, the sinful desires of this world here in John. And it's the same kind of language that Paul was using back in Philippians. And so John is saying, these things of the world, the desires, the lust of the world, the lust of our, our minds and our hearts... This is not from God. And we need to stop loving the things of the world. So this week, we need to ask God to show us what worldly distractions are taking our focus off of Jesus. What worldly distractions are taking our focus off of Jesus? using that language last week of running a race and keeping our eyes on the goal of knowing Christ. And now the language of standing firm in Christ and Christ alone. What are the things of this world that are a distraction for us, that are taking our thoughts away from Jesus, taking our focus off of Him? So look at how you spend your time. Look at how you spend your money. Look at the things that you talk about. Look at the things that bring you the most joy or the things that make you the angriest in this world. And ask God, God, what is it that's a worldly distraction for me? What is it that draws my attention away from Jesus and who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for me? And when we recognize those things, when God reveals them to us, because He will, if we ask God sincerely, I want to know what it is that I'm, I'm focusing on instead of Christ, God will grant that request. So when we see, you know what, I'm, I'm putting this before Christ. Confess it. And then turn back to Jesus, staking your claim in Him. Run hard after Him. third point that we see from this text is this. Standing firm in the Lord requires us to eagerly wait for Jesus. Standing firm in the Lord requires us to eagerly wait for Jesus. Philippians 3, verse 20 through 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord 
Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject everything to Himself. Standing firm in the Lord requires us to eagerly wait for Jesus. Jesus has promised He's coming back. He didn't leave this world after His resurrection and just say, alright, it's up to y'all. I'll figure it out, try to make the best of it. He promised He's coming back. And so Paul says, we have this contrast again. Contrast is another one of the big things that we see here in this letter, repeatedly. Uh, And so he's talked about the enemies of the cross of Christ, and now he's saying, but that's not us. We're citizens of heaven, is what he says in verse 20, which is another one of those phrases that we saw back in uh, Philippians 1.27. We have a heavenly citizenship. This world is a, a temporary home for us. And so Paul says, we're not like these individuals. We're not running hard after other things, satisfying every other desire in our lives. We're citizens of heaven and we're waiting for Jesus. Jesus will come back and we wait eagerly for him to do so. And then verse 21 clarifies one reason why We wait eagerly for him to do so. What's he going to do when he returns? He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Our bodies will be transformed when Christ returns. We will change when we see him. When we are with Him, our bodies will be changed. No more brokenness. No more struggles with sin. No more pain. No more grief. No more sorrow. No more death and decay. Our bodies will be transformed when Christ returns. And so Paul says... This is what we long for. We wait for our Savior. We're putting our hope in Him. We're standing firm in Him. We're running hard after Jesus. And we know He's coming back for us. He hasn't left us alone. And He's, send, he's coming to change us. He's coming to take us with Him. And Paul says that's why we keep standing firm in the Lord is we have this beautiful promise. Since this is true, we will eagerly wait for Him. But church, we're tempted often not to think about that. We're tempted to think only about our current circumstances. We're tempted to think only about what's right in front of us. Our work, our family, the things we're struggling with. And Paul says, in all of that, we're remembering Jesus is coming back. We've got to wait for Him. Look at what Paul says in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Because what we see with this is we're eagerly waiting for Jesus. Our desires start to be transformed. Our hearts start to be transformed as we're longing for Him. 
Titus 2, verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lust, and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in this present age, while we wait for our blessed hope, the appearing and the, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for him a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. Paul saying, we long for Jesus to come back. And with that, there's this transformation in our hearts where we want to honor God with the way that we live. We don't follow the passions of our our hearts. We don't follow the desires of our flesh. We are longing for the day that Jesus will come again and transform us. And this isn't one of those like shaming techniques of like, hey, is this the way you want to be living when Jesus comes back? That's not what Paul's trying to do here. He's talking about the transformation of our mind and our heart as we focus in on our Savior. Saying, He's coming back. He's going to return and He's going to right all the wrongs. He's going to fix all the brokenness and, and my sin and my, my own brokenness in this body is going to be ended one day. No more. I won't struggle in any of these things anymore. And so we long for Jesus' return. But we get distracted by things in this world. We do. We are, our hearts are drawn towards other things. We put our hope in other things. Or we just forget about that and we add salvation, we add Christ as like a component of our life and think, okay, I'm getting into heaven now uh, and so I just can live out the rest of my life not thinking about that. But Paul is saying there's a transformation that's taking place as we long for Jesus' return and what a beautiful promise that he will return There's a C.S. Lewis quote from Mere Christianity that he talks about this idea of longing for Christ's return and thinking about heaven and thinking about being in the presence of Christ. And he says this, If you read history, you will find that Christians who did the most for this present world were just those who thought the most of the next. Christians who did most for this present world are just those who thought the most of the next. It's since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this one. You know, there's that phrase that uh, I've heard people say. Some of you probably have heard it at some point in time. That kind of a joke about people uh, that are very religious and godly and that people will say something like, oh, they're so heavenly minded that they're no worldly good. Uh, I don't know if you've heard that phrase before, but Paul's saying that's not possible. Uh, When we are focused on the reality that Christ is coming again, that changes us, that changes who we are, that changes how we live through the power of the Spirit. Not us just trying to, you know, pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and be better, but through the Spirit of God working in us, we are transformed. And God uses us in this world for His glory. 
So for us, church, we have to start living life with this reality that Christ is coming back. Jesus is coming back and we need to live in that reality, looking for him, longing for him. And so as we eagerly wait for his return, that changes us. That changes how we live in this world. We start to strive towards obedience, not out of fear, but just I want to honor God. I want to honor Jesus Christ. We strive to share the good news of the gospel with the lost. Jesus is coming back. And those who don't know him are facing eternal destruction. And so I want to share with others the good news, the hope that they have. We hold out hope to the hurting and to the broken and saying, yeah, this world is terrible a lot of times. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of grief. There's a lot of sorrow. But we have a promise Jesus is coming back. He's going to right the wrongs. He's going to turn the world the right side up again. And what a beautiful promise of hope for us as we struggle in this broken world. The brokenness of this world, the brokenness of our bodies, the brokenness of our minds and hearts will be undone forever when Christ returns. So let's live our lives longing for Jesus' return. Church, we're called to stand firm in the Lord. We have a precious Savior who loves us. Is a perfect demonstration of God's love for us. And so we're called to stand firm in that. It's the hope we need. We need good, godly examples to follow. While we're doing this, we need to put away the the worldly desires, the fleshly desires that we're tempted towards and the distractions of this world that are keeping our eyes off of Jesus. And then we need to long for him to come back and finally make things right again. He will return. He's coming back for us, church. So let's stand firm in Jesus while we eagerly wait for him. Let's pray. God, you're good and faithful. And we thank you for that. We ask for forgiveness for the times that we take our focus off of Christ and pursue other things in this world, our hope other things in this world. We ask for forgiveness for the the times that we just put aside the reality that Jesus Christ is going to return one day. Thank you for the promise that we will be transformed when he comes. Thank you for the promise that he will come and right all the wrongs as we Remember that reality today and tomorrow and each day after that. Change our hearts and minds. We want to be used for your glory, God, and we want to do that through putting our hope in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Help us live that out as a body of believers and as individuals. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.